0: Sunday, during the Sunday school, as uh, it begins, children come together and they have a time of singing and learning, and uh, this morning they would like to share with you one of the things that they have been learning this year in the primary Sunday school opening.
1: Thank you so much to the children, and also to Megan Stottlemyre and Sarah Badger for their work with our children. It's great to see them participating in our service this morning. Please stand with me for the call to worship. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your power. All your works praise you, Lord, and your faithful servants bless you. They make known the glory of your kingdom and speak of your power.
2: Our mouths shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh bless his
1: holy name, forever and ever. Please remain standing. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your spirit which is present with us this morning. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you most of all for sending Jesus to be with us and among us, to teach us, to set an example for us, and to die for our sins. I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word and worship you this morning, that you would teach us more and help us to respond more in the ways that you want us each to respond. And we thank you in your name. Amen.
0: Worship before you're seated. We gather for worship today. There are many things happening in the life of the church. Uh, many announcements in your bulletin. Today is the last day to drop off your shoebox for Operation Christmas Child, and you see information in the bulletin about that. We uh, we do want to pray for the children and uh, that received the boxes and the ripple effect of that. We did get word this week that one of the uh, refugee camps in South Sudan where uh, Samaritan's Purse Works was bombed, and uh, it did not sound like there were many casualties, but it just reminds us of the, the uh, danger in which many of uh, our children in the world live under constantly every day. So we certainly want to pray uh, for that as well as for those <clears throat> who receive the boxes. I want to thank everyone who brought food for the food pantry this week. It's been great. We, next Sunday is our annual food collection. You can just bring things with you on Sunday morning, and there's an insert in the bulletin with items to bring. Also, there's the backside of that insert. It's about a Thanksgiving meal that we are sharing with people, and you can sign up for that if you want in the back foyer. Your bulletin also contains a Faith Promise Commitment Card. We're collecting these next Sunday. So I hope you've been praying about what God would want to do through you and to stretch our faith to help us to take some new steps with him. And we'll be collecting those uh, next Sunday. This is also the... Um, we've also completed two weeks of our three-week, 24-hour prayer vigil. We're hearing some great stories back. We have a week to go. If you haven't yet had a chance to be in the prayer room, I invite you to do that. You can you can reserve an hour today or anytime online and uh, just to be a part of this time. And next Sunday night at 6, we'll be gathered together for a closing celebration and some uh, just a chance to share together uh, a little memento of what uh, God has done in our lives through this time to remind us, and uh, so we hope you'll join us for that event. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. I want to add to that uh, the um, Elwa radio station Liberia. Some of you may have heard that there was a fire there, destroyed the main building. Uh, fortunately, they had equipment in another building, so they continued to broadcast, and we're grateful for that. But this will take uh, some time and obviously some money to rebuild, and yet nothing is too big for our God. And he can take this tragedy and turn it into something very positive, which is what we are praying for him to do.
1: We won't pray just yet we'll go to the scripture reading first but I know we feel like it I'll be reading from Nehemiah chapter 9 on the 24th day of the same month the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood, read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. The Levites cried out with loud voices to the Lord, their God, and said, stand up and praise the Lord, your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything And the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh. You divided the sea before our ancestors so that they passed through it on dry ground. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. They reveled in your great goodness. You gave them kingdoms and nations, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins... Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. This is the word of the Lord. Um, the ushers will come forward and please stand as we sing together the Gloria Patri. together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the many ways that you've put blessing upon our lives, just as you did the Israelites in the passage we just read. And I pray, Lord, that you would find us faithful to you as we give of our tithes and our offerings. And we pray, Lord, and it is our hope that in love your kingdom might be furthered. We thank you so much in your name, amen.
0: We have the opportunity now to come before our almighty king and to pray together. We do, if you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, it's open, I invite you to come. Father, we come before you as the Almighty King. You are the creator of all things, and we join with all of your creatures in declaring our praise and our adoration for who you are, for all that you have done, most of all for loving us and for sending Christ to be our Savior. Father, today we pray for our brothers and sisters who live under the threat of persecution. There are circumstances that they face that are so difficult for us to grasp, but we pray that you will give to them strength as they may grow weary under the burden of persecution. Relieve the pressure that is most intense. Give them encouragement when they feel abandoned, and desolate, lonely despairing. We pray that you will protect the children, protect them from harm, from witnessing disturbing events, from the evil one's attempt to turn them from you. Father, we pray that you will give to our brothers and sisters a spirit of forgiveness and to those who persecute them a spirit of repentance. Father, we thank you for everyone who has contributed to Operation Christmas Child. We know that you're the master of taking our small gifts and turning them into life-changing opportunities, and we pray that this is what you will do. Work in the children who receive them, their families, their villages, their cities, their nations, the world. We pray that you will protect these children and the people who are in refugee camps, especially in the most dangerous places. Father, we have completed two weeks of our prayer vigil. We thank you for the things that have happened. As we move into the final week, we pray that you will do more than we could imagine. Use this week to inspire us to the deeper things of your spirit. Through our prayers, transform us In this place, and our towns, our world. Father, we come today with a lot of burdens on our hearts, and we pray today that you will bring healing, and comfort, and restoration, and your grace to bear on every situation that burdens us. We offer our prayers because we know that you hear us, and you answer in the way that is always best. We offer our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors
1: Our New Testament reading this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord.
0: One of the reasons that we are engaging in this prayer event is that we are asking God to do something miraculous among us. We're asking God to do something in us that is beyond us and even beyond what we can imagine that we might be able to accomplish in ourselves. In maybe a little bit older language, we're asking God to bring revival. We're asking God to bring renewal. We're asking God to, to put a new passion for him and for others in our hearts. And this is the whole point of why we are spending this time praying together, because we want God to do something miraculous. But the moment you start talking about God doing these kinds of miraculous things, you wonder, how does that happen? Well, of course, it's all about what God does. It, it is not because we have manipulated God or because we have said just the right words and just the right way, and so now God is going to do something and he's sort of forced to do it. It is all about God choosing to come among his people. But at the same time, God makes it very clear that people are ready for God and people are not ready for God. And our role is, in what we want God to do in us as individuals and as a congregation and as a wider community of people is that we prepare ourselves for what God wants to do so that we're ready to receive and to hear and and to understand and to act. And one of the ways, I think one of the primary ways in which we prepare ourselves is through prayer. And one of the key elements of prayer that helps us prepare is confession. Now, in most evangelical churches, confession is not looked upon positively. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is because uh, at the time of the Reformation, uh, the confessional was looked at negatively, and some of the ways in which the, the confessions were handled. And so the reformers said, We don't want to have anything to do with that, so let's just get rid of the whole confession idea. And that has remained with us. The other thing is in the 19th century holiness movement, there were a lot of good things that came out of that, an emphasis upon, upon being holy people, an emphasis upon God doing more for us than you know, we might otherwise see. But one of the negative things that arose out of the holiness movement was this idea of perfectionism, that we believed that, that we, we could be perfect people and that there became this sense of if you're not perfect, then something is wrong with you. And if you create that kind of atmosphere, then who wants to come and say, hey, I have a problem? And so you put those things together, and in most evangelical churches, confession is not practiced very much. But when we read the scriptures, we see over and over again that confession is a part of God's people's existence. They confess to him. They confess to one another. It is continually a part of what God's people do. And one of those places we see it clearly here is in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9 comes to us in the context of Israel having been in exile for many years because of their disobedience to God. And now some of them have come back and they're beginning to reestablish Jerusalem and they've worked on the temple and they've built the wall around the city. And in the eighth chapter, Nehemiah or Ezra gathers the people together and he begins reading from the book of the law. And when he gets done, the people say, wow, we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not doing what God commanded us to do through Moses, and and they begin to confess their sins. It's interesting how the word of God can get through to us. It's one of the reasons why reading the scriptures on a regular basis is so important, because it reminds us of who we are and who God is and this huge gap between us. It reminds us of the commands that God has given to us, and how we so fall short of those commands that we would we might be able to get out of feeling that way or seeing that if we don't read the Scripture. I know people who don't read the Scripture for that very reason, so they read the Scripture and it leads them to confession. Now I'm intrigued about the fact that their confession is among themselves. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 9, it says, Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and their wickedness of their ancestors. Now the foreigners are sent out of Israel because they are leading Israel into idolatry and away from God. And so God commands them, you need to get, get those people out from among you. Their influence is not helping you. But nevertheless, it intrigues me that he makes the point they get rid of all of them and then Israel comes together and confesses their sins. And there is something in that that the confession of sins is primarily about the church confessing the sins of the church. And we have a tendency to come to God or talk among each other and to say how bad the rest of the world is and not a whole lot about any role we might have to play in that. Now I'm not saying that the problems of the world are, the, are all the fault of Christians, but there is, is there any sense that we haven't lived up to what God has commanded us to be and to do in this world that might make it different? Is there anything in us that needs to be confessed because we haven't been the light in the midst of the darkness that God called us to be? It's about us. And instead of saying, let's, let's lament all the things that the people outside the walls of the church do, I think we've got enough on our own hands to say, let's just confess the sins that we're struggling with. And then it changes us. And out of that, we, get, we become new light in the darkness. I suspect that some of our confession this way will be in the way we interact with the darkness, in the way we interact with the world, how we, our our plan for trying to change the world, trying to be Christ in the world. Too often, instead of trusting God and His strategy, we look around and we see what works in the world and we embrace that strategy. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago in, in Ephesians how Paul says, you know, the strategy of God's people is not the, the same strategy as the rest of the world. Our strategy is thing, things like love, peace, patience, gentleness, mercy, truth, humility. A willingness to die to self in order to live for Christ. But we've become so enamored with the way the things of the world work that we totally lost that. And we forget that Paul tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and the evil forces, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then once you understand that, then you can put on the armor, which is love, peace, patience. I was reading a novel recently, and in the mind of one of the world leaders involved in the conflict that's at the center of the book, the author states, It was war. And in war, the truth was almost always the first casualty. And I think there's something about that in, in, in the way, in the reason why we don't confess, in the way we hand, live in the world. We're so enamored with, with doing the, the purposes of God and getting people to come to Christ that we forget it's about the processes of doing that as much as it is the results. And the strategy we use is not insignificant, and it's not, it's not inconsequential. It is so significant. Because if we think we can, we can badger people, if we think that we can use the, the political processes primarily and do it in the same way that other people do in order to get what we want, in order to get the, make people Christian, we've totally missed it. And we probably need to confess that. But here's the thing that I find about confession is that it is it is effective when we do it individually but it's also very effective when we do it corporately and there is a place an important place for corporate confession when we begin to see our sins as identifying with each other we rise and fall together and I'm not sure we all really buy into that and we in a little bit we're going to we're going to go through a time of, of corporate confession. And there will be things that a litany that we're going to to confess together. And I'm sure some of the things you're going to say, I I don't do that. I haven't had a problem with that. And and you're probably right. But we say them all anyway, because this is about not just me or you, it's about us. And the identification that we have together, being the church. It's interesting to me that the Israelites in the middle of this uh, litany of confession, they talk about their ancestors who became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey God's commands, and they say, we are identifying ourselves with them. They did it, but it's us too. And there's something, something difficult about that kind of identity. We don't like to admit that maybe our people weren't quite what we wish they would be. I, I really don't have any idea, as you can well imagine, about all the the things that are true or not true or did or didn't take place about what's going on at Penn State. It's it, it's certainly something that we lament, the whole thing. But I, I am intrigued about when you saw the pictures of the students who were turning over vans and rioting because the Board of Trustees had fired predominantly, I think, Coach Paterno, but also the president, and part of me was mortified at that, but part of me really wasn't all that surprised. Because it's hard to admit that we're part of something that might be flawed. And whatever cover-up took place is not that hard to understand because it's hard to admit our collective sins. And we, it's so important, so often for most of us, that our reputation is more important than the painful truth. We are wired to protect ourselves. It's what we do in our sinful human nature. But I'm also intrigued by the media's response to this. And on the one hand, I'm happy, I'm certainly happy, that they are bringing this this heinous issue of, of how children can be treated to the attention of the world. But a part of me is thinking, so why now? Why haven't we been talking about this? Why have there been stories about this for a long time? Why have we ignored it for so long? And then the second thing I think about is watching and listening to people, and I've listened to people both on broadcast news networks as well as sports networks talking about this, and what I keep hearing over and over again is, well, if I were in their shoes, I wouldn't have done that. And they're probably right. They probably wouldn't have done that. But something in me is looking for, you know, that makes me stop and think about my own life. It makes me stop and ask myself, have I ever done anything that might have put people who are vulnerable in a difficult place? Have I ever tried to to hide things that should have been brought to the light? It's hard to admit that we are sinful people. It's hard to identify with each other, but that's what we're called to do, and that's what we're called to be as the church. And confession is one of the ways in which we're able to do that. In which we're able to say, look, your sin is my sin and my sin is your sin because we are in this thing together. And we can do that. We can come and we can honestly and openly confess our sins because we are confessing to a God who loves us despite our sin. You'll notice that confession is tied to the love of God. And in this passage, the majority of this confession is really talking about how great God is and how wonderful God has been to them. And it's not a matter of trying to manipulate God into, into forgiving them, but, it, but the fact that they've created this context in the presence of God where they feel free to confess. And sometimes we're hesitant to confess our sins because the church has given us the impression that we're not really wanting to hear that. We don't, we don't really want to hear, and, and instead the church gives the impression of being judgmental and critical, and we ostracize people, and the church is not really known as a place where we can come and just freely acknowledge our sins. It's a place that unfortunately tends to cause us to hide our sin and deny our sin and to not confess our faults to each other. You ever had one of those moments when two things happen close together in time, and so they, you saw a connection to them that you never would have seen if they would have happened maybe weeks or months apart? Rebecca Pippert tells of one of those times when she was up at uh, Harvard, and she went into a graduate level psychology class, and and the students, a small group of students, they were in a circle, and she said, they spent a lot of the time just telling each other about all the struggles they were having in life. This person they were angry at, that situation that that they had done something wrong, just confessing all these things so freely to each other. It said, she said, what was interesting, though, is that they, they were freely confessing, but nobody really had an answer about what to do about it. The next day, she went to a Christian Bible study group, and she said, in this group, nobody shared any problems at all. They talked a lot about God as the answer to problems. There was one thing where one, the closest thing came to a problem was one kid said, Well, I, I, I've got a friend who's having some kind of issue. We ought to pray for him. And said so they had lots of answers. But nobody wanted to talk about problems. And because those events happened so close together, she said it struck her as so interesting that in the first group in the psychology class, they, they had all kinds of problems and no answers. And the Christian group had all kinds of answers and no problems. And that's what the church has has done to us where we have created this atmosphere where we don't feel safe and we give that same perspective about God. We're not sure it's safe to confess our sins. But the only reason we need to, the only reason that we will ever be free from our sin is if we confess our sins. The Apostle John says if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And we try to avoid telling people about the things we're struggling with and even telling God, but, it, but we need to remember two truths. One, God already knows everything about our sins. It's not as though confessing to him, he will say, "Whoa, oh, I didn't know that, that one took me by surprise. And the second thing is that God loves us. And when we come to God and confess our sins, Psalmist says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I think one of our issues is that we, we feel like we're standing before a judge, And he and he's laying down the sentence to us. When actually, when we come and confess our sins to God, we're actually coming into His living room and we're climbing up into the lap of our Father, and we're saying, whispering in His ear, "Hey, I really blew it." And we feel His warm embrace, and we feel His sense of forgiveness. And yes, there probably will still be some consequences, but never out of a heart of retribution, but always out of a heart of reconciliation and helping us and giving us grace and strength to move forward more effectively. We confess because we confess to a God who loves us. And the desire that God has for his people is to create such a spirit of openness and love with each other that we can openly confess to each other. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why does a righteous person's prayer have power and effectiveness? Because a righteous person is someone who is confessing their sins to God and to other people. A righteous person realizes that the only way to be free from sin is to acknowledge the sin. A righteous person is more concerned with being right with God than whatever reputation they may have with other people. A righteous person is willing to risk whatever people may say or do because of their confession in order to be set free from the bondage of their unconfessed sin. And that's exactly what it is. Unconfessed sin is bondage. It is like chains around our mouths and our ears and our hands and our feet and our heart. Unconfessed sin holds us back and chains us to guilt and causes us to believe that what people think is more important than what God wants to do in our lives if we would just open ourselves and let him. It is only in, when we confess our sins that we put ourselves in a position where we can receive the blessing of God and be set free from the sin that has chained us and is holding us. There was a great moving of the Holy Spirit at Asbury College in February of 1970. God did some amazing things on that campus. Students, faculty, staff, the town of Wilmore, the surrounding communities, central Kentucky, and even really throughout the whole United States as students went all over the place sharing about the great moving of God's Spirit. Dennis Kinlaw was the president of Asbury College at that time, and I've heard him talk about different stories about that, about that time, and what an amazing week and and on that it was. One of the the evenings during that, during while that was going on, he was sitting in the back of Hughes Auditorium, which is their chapel, and he was praying and just watching as students and others were coming and they were confessing their sins and, and they were praising God for his forgiveness, and they were praying together and Watching all this take place, and a student came up to him and and she said, Dr. Kinlaw, could I talk with you? He said, I I could tell from just her tone of voice that this was something that needed to be done in private. So we went downstairs into a classroom and she sat down in a chair and, and he did, and they looked at each other a few minutes, and finally she said, Dr. Kinlaw, I'm a liar. He said, What do you mean you're a liar? She said, I'm a liar. I I, I lie all the time. I lie so much, I don't even know when I'm lying anymore. But I don't want to be a liar. I I, I want to be free. What do I do? He said, I sat there for a few moments, praying, thinking. He said, I'd never said this to anyone else before, but I looked at her and I said, why don't you think about the last person you lied to? And go to that person and confess your sin and ask them to forgive you. She said, oh, I don't think I could do that. That would kill me. He said, no, I'm pretty sure it would cure you. A couple of days later, as he was walking across campus, she came bouncing over to him, this glow on her face. She said, Dr. Kinlaw, I'm free. I said, I just talked to my 34th person. <laughs> And I'm free. I'm free. That's not just about us as individuals. That's about us. When we are willing to confess our sin, God can set us free. And we can find a joy in Christ that we were certain we never would be able to find. This morning, we're going to to pray some prayers of confession together. As I said a few moments ago, some of these things you may say, that's not me, I, I, I haven't dealt with that. That's okay. Pray it anyway. As a sign of support to those who have struggled with it and also just as a recognition that stuff comes to us. The, the, the words of the, of the litany are in two different colors. That's just simply to help you differentiate between the prayers. It, so we're gonna pray all of the words on the screen. And as we do, I'm praying that God will, will do something in us as we confess. And maybe one of these will particularly speak to you. Let that be an opportunity for God to take the weight off your shoulders and to set you And us free. Let us pray together. We have judged one another about many elements of life. Father, forgive us. We have been stingy with grace toward each other. Father, forgive us. We have not created an atmosphere in which we feel free to come to the church to be supported. Father, forgive us. We have valued our Christian independence above our call to be connected to each other as the church. Father, forgive us. We have spoken to each other in disrespectful words in the name of academia and the pursuit of knowledge. Father, forgive us. We have put pressure on our children to measure up to unrealistic standards. Father, forgive us. We have been selfish about our own needs and subsequently ignored the needs of our children or of others who are more vulnerable than us. Father, forgive us. We have chosen rebellion against our parents and the church instead of surrendering ourselves to people who have God-given authority over us. Father, forgive us. We have acted as though the ministries that are important to us are more important than the ministries that are important to others. Father, forgive us. We have not acted in a loving way toward people who do not live with the same ideals, priority, and God as we do. Father, forgive us. We have been more interested in knowing about God rather than surrendering ourselves to know God. Father, forgive us. We have ignored the gift of the church in deference to our personal desires and ideals. Father, forgive us. We have continually chosen selfishness over surrender. Father, forgive us. We have lived our lives ignoring the words of Christ that we are his beloved children. Father, forgive us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit and out of the loving kindness of our Heavenly Father, you, we, are forgiven. Let us go forth to live in his grace. May God bless you this day and every day as you live in his mercy and his power and his forgiveness. Go in peace. Amen. (coughs)